0: was just informed of a change in schedule for some folks that have been way too significant, meaningful, and contributing to the life of this church for way too long for me not to make a big deal over the, the idea that they would be moving from here. And I thought I had next week to have both of them here but it's possible that we will not have next week to have both of them here. So uh, this morning, I want us to pray for a couple and their girls as they follow the Lord's leading to move to Houston, Texas. Uh, it's a little bit difficult of a departure. You just You grow your lives together for many, many years, and this is a couple that we have had the privilege of knowing David and Lauren Widener, knowing Dave since he was a little boy, knowing Lauren since they met in college and she got poisoned with the idea of being a part of the church and has loved it ever since. They have been small group leaders for years, caring for others here in the church. They have been a part of the pivot ministry. Years caring for our young people in this church, they would pretty much give themselves to any and every opportunity to serve, because uh, that's the kind of people that they are, and they have left a deep impact on our lives. They have, they have shouldered the burden of caring for people's souls in a very effective and meaningful way, and so it's it's not a happy day, in spite of that song. <laughs> uh, We're still happy about our sins being washed away. We're just not happy about dear friends going somewhere different and uh, walking out God's purposes in life. But I want us to pray for them. So could you guys come up here with me? Amelia is with them. Hannah and Kate are enjoying the ministry in the back. We have both of these guys and their girls headed to a new location, headed to a new experience, headed to some new waters, and we want to fill these guys with faith as they go. And I, I, this, this verse just immediately comes to mind. I sent them this in an email this week, but I know you'll identify with it. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul was thinking of you guys when he wrote that, but he should have been because that's been who you have been to us and to so many here. And so this is uh, this is what God does sometimes in His purposes. And so we want to pray for you guys. I, w- I would like for all the folks who have either been in the Dave and Lauren small pivot group, was they led small group at, for there for a season, and also for those who have been in their covenant group, uh, to stand with us as we pray. I would like for Phil and Liz. Are they here? Phil and Liz are out of town. What is it about some of you relatives that you don't know when to miss church? (laughs) Uh, Ann and Bryant, if you guys would join us as well in praying for these guys and obviously praying for the sending of these guys as well. So let's, let's join together. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that we will one day rejoice around your throne. And, Lord, forever that setting will not change. And, God, it will be sweet because of what we celebrate. It will be sweet because of who we celebrate with. So, Lord, we anticipate that day and we long for that day. Uh, But right now, Lord, we long for your blessing. We long for your provision. We long for you to sustain faith for days ahead. Lord, days that will be different. People, that will be different. A church, that will be different. A job, that will be different. Uh, Lord, things are going to feel different for this couple. Uh, Lord, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. So the, the confidence we have is that though things will be different, you are not different. You are not different in Houston than you are in New Orleans. You are not different in another church than you are in this church, Lord. You are God. And so, Lord, we submit this family to you, to your care, Lord, the source of our being able to release and being at peace. but be- comes because we release them into your care as they have always been, Lord. They have always been yours and you'll be faithful to them for years and years to come. And God, we look forward to the story of your glory in their lives that we will continue to hear. We will see this day in a unique way as you unfold that for years to come. So, Lord, thank you for them. Lord, particularly we pray for grace, for Ann and Bryant, Lord, as they adjust and fulfill, and Liz, as they make adjustments, Lord, to uh, this family not being so near and accessible to them. Lord, be gracious to them in this transition. Lord, help the couples and the members of their groups that have received ministry for years, Lord, to now be able to receive grace through another means. Lord, that we trust you will lead and ordain uh, as you are sovereign over all this day. So, Father, we thank you for this couple, and we love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Don't work for some reason. <clears throat> well, if you would open First Peter chapter three, if you'll remember last week we began this little mini-series by having married married couples here stand up and hold hands. We're going to conclude our time in this passage today by having you stand up and hold hands and believing God to meet you in an amazing way. These are amazing words. These are words of life and they're words of wisdom and they're words that will make a difference. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot be a people who start getting so familiar with God's word that we stop believing that these words make a difference, whether we do them or not makes a difference in our lives. These are not optional words. They're critical words. They're life-giving words. And so we believe God wants to minister to couples today. Now let me also do this. Let me rescue these verses from obscurity in the in the mission of the church. When we read these passages that we're reading about wives last week and about husbands this week they're tucked away right in the middle of the very evangelistic flare of first peter's admonition to the church you know he spends time if you go back and look remember that verse we keep getting rooted back into first peter chapter 2 verse 9 that we're a chosen people to proclaim the excellencies of him who've called us out of darkness and then a few verses later keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil of you, they're going, to get, they're going to get blown away by what they really see about your life. And then over and over again, he comes back to these verses. In verse 1, he talks about wives, chapter 3, living in such a way that what's observed by your husband could win them. If they're disobedient, they don't know God. They could come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of God by watching the conduct and the way in which you live your life. And then just a few verses later in chapter 3, we're, to, we're asked to honor Christ as Lord in our hearts and to be ready to give an account of the hope that is within us to anyone who would ask. And they would be asking because He just said they're going to be observing some mind blowing stuff from you. They're going to observe you being submitted in society in a way that doesn't make sense. You must be trusting something outside of a fallen society. You're going to be submitted. In your work atmosphere where there's abusive bosses and taskmaster who who mistreated slaves and yet you're going to be submitted to something. You're going to advertise the fact that there's something else present for you that you submit to beyond what's naturally observable. And then when you get into your marriages, you're going to do things that doesn't make sense in light of the natural observable component that a woman would be submitted to a man who's disobedient to the word of God. That doesn't make any sense. It must be that you submit yourself to something greater than just the natural parts of that relationship. That you actually see something about God and husbands who are going to answer the call today. And are going to become something unnatural. Guys, when you read this passage, you're going to discover, at least I know, full force. This is unnatural. You might as well be, I'm going to say, do things left-handed. You might as well tell me to eat with my feet in some of these categories. just feels unnatural, but yet it's what God calls us to. And the context of this is evangelistic. You know, some of us are living here in marriages today, and when we talk about the the mission of the church, we tend to relegate that to missions organizations, and we want to hear a report and see that the gospel's going to Bolivia or somewhere unique. And, boy, that's the advancement of the gospel happening over there. And maybe there's a Billy Graham crusade that's evangelistic for us, or maybe locally we think Alpha's evangelistic. How many of us think that our marriages are evangelistic? How many of us stop and think that what we proclaim on a daily basis through our married lives is evangelistic? It's forwarding the cause of the gospel. Listen, you need to think that way not only at the address where you live, but you do need to think that way there for the sake of those who live in proximity to you, for your extended family that you're going to spend time with probably in the next couple of days, for the family that's grown up in your own household that gets to watch you believe something bigger than everyday natural fallen stuff in life. But then when you come together as a church and people come into this context and people who are just taking first steps into the kingdom of God, and they don't know what this is all about. And they begin to hear about people's stories and they hear about their marriages. They sit in a covenant group and they hear somebody tell a story just kind of Matter of fact, hey, my wife and I went through a season. It was like this, and it was like this, and it was like this. And what they hear being described is the kind of stuff that everybody else they know got divorced over. Or just lived in this miserable setting for as long as they were married, and then they listened to the rest of the story being told by that couple of how redemptive God has been and how God has come in, and, and we believed God, and we trusted God, and I submitted to my husband. It was difficult, and, and I begin to be broken as a man leading my wife, and I begin to lead her this way, and look where God has us now. Listen, every time you do that, you proclaim the power of the gospel into your small group. And somebody's listening to that and it's having an effect upon them and what they're going to do next in their marriage and whether or not they'll make sacrifices and do stuff that's unnatural. So don't stop and think that, you know, there's this advancing cause out there for the gospel in evangelism and and somehow our marriages aren't a part of it. Peter sticks our marriages right in the heart of proclaiming the excellencies of God into this world so that they might see and recognize something about what it is to be a believer marriages are evangelistic. Now in this passage today we just have one passage to look at and we're going to discover two commands, two insights and one warning all in this one verse. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor To the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I'm just going to take the verse apart with the little phrases that are in it. So let me start with this first word, likewise, in the same way, depending on your translation. Now here's a thought. If you're if you're following Peter into this passage. Likewise means there's something for this to be like, right? So he's referring to something that's come before it. Now, the question is, what is he referring to, right? Because the the wives started off with a likewise word as well. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And so now we're getting husbands are being told, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way and show honor to them. Uh, what's What's the likewise here? Let me start by saying what I firmly believe. I think it's clear in Scripture, what it is not. This is not a follow-up thought to the wives just got told to be submitted to their husbands, and now likewise, husbands, be submitted to your wives. That's not what this passage is saying. Because Peter is very specific about likewise, do this. He's not saying likewise, be submitted to your wives. Now, why do I say that? Well, a couple of reasons. Because there is an element where the Bible speaks, particularly Ephesians chapter 5, about being submitted one to another. And so there's there's an attitude element of submission that is shared amongst the people of God. But it is not the submission that we described last week that is a part of what God structures into particular relationships There are particular relationships that have structure to them. God designed them that way. And when we enter into those, somebody will have the role of submitting, and someone will have a different role. And and what we've created, we said this last week, I'm going to say it again and again and again, we have have made submission such an ungodly thing. We have made submission such a second-rate booby prize that if you have to submit, somebody's got to throw you a bone to encourage you somehow. So you go into this passage here and you, and you want to say, wives, be submitted to your husbands. And man, can we, can we throw them a bone here? Can we just say at some point husbands sometimes got to be submitted to their wives too? Can, can we take the edge off that? Can we kind of make this an equal opportunity passage? Okay, if you do, you screw up the rest of the Bible. Because it's not where the Bible goes. In this passage... Citizens are told to be submitted to the emperor, but the emperor is never told to be submitted to the citizens. Slaves are told to be submitted to their masters, but the masters are never told to be submitted to the slaves. The church is told to be submitted to Christ, but did you know that Christ is never told to be submitted to the church? Children are told to be submitted to their parents. But did you notice the Bible never says parents are to be submitted to their children. So these are not reciprocal submissions. God's design and strategy is that within certain structured relationships, that submission and leadership is a one-way deal. And he has established it that way. So when we get to this passage today, this is not Peter attempting to tell likewise, husbands, you submit to your wives too. No, that's not the case. This is a helpful thought from John Piper in his book, This Momentary Marriage. He says, the roles of husband and wife are rooted in the distinctive roles of Christ and his church. The revelation of this mystery is the recovery of the original intention of covenant marriage in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world, it ruined the harmony of marriage, not because it brought headship and submission. Right? Sin didn't bring headship and submission into the world, not because it brought headship and submission, into but because it twisted man's humble, loving headship toward hostile domination in some men and lazy indifference in others, right? Men, you want to check out where you are on that scale, right? If on one end is hostile domination and on the other end is lazy indifference, you are somewhere on the scale. All right, the question just is, where exactly am I, Lord? It also did this. It twisted woman's intelligent, willing, happy, creative, articulate submission toward manipulative obsequiousness. That's sort of flattery and sure I'll do what you tell me to do but I'm really doing it because I'm working a deal here. I'm submitting to you because I'm going to accomplish something by that. And then on the other hand, brazen insubordination in others. I will not do what you tell me to do. I will not submit to you. You nuts. That's what that sounds like. Sin didn't create headship and submission. It ruined them and made them ugly and destructive. Right, it's very important that you see that, that the ideas of, that God built into relationship structures like the ones I just listed are in the wisdom and design of God. They are not a reaction to the fall. The fall simply made those structures dysfunctional and ugly. And right, So we don't want to tear down the structure. We just want to put it back the way it's supposed to be. So, so what is this likewise having to do with? Well, that, the likewise has to do with this servant-hearted attitude that is found in serving a bigger cause in every one of these examples. When the ruling cause of my life is proclaiming the excellencies of God as the people of God and being willing to take my desires and to make them servant to a bigger cause, that's exactly what you find in a guy who submits himself to the emperor. In a slave who's being mistreated, who serves a bigger cause to promote and proclaim the glory of God, and he remains submitted to an abusive master. Or ultimately, the example of Christ, who submitted himself as a servant, came to this world as a servant put on flesh, so that he might receive rejection and punishment for sin in his body on the cross. That attitude of being a servant is in every one of these instances. Husbands, you're called upon to have a servant-minded attitude. Likewise, husbands, be servant-minded so that you can think beyond yourself and be willing to lay aside something of yourself in order to serve the need, in this case, of your wife. I think that's what The likewise is. So so what's the role Peter stresses for the husband? Because he moves quickly from likewise to this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Most literal translation would simply say live according to knowledge. Which modern translation would sound something like this. Gentlemen, don't be dull, stupid husbands. Husbands. And that's where this becomes unnatural, isn't it? <laughs> because in this category, you can be a rocket scientist in some other categories. And be just real dull and stupid. In living with your wife, with knowledge, with insight, with understanding. And right? I'm going to come back to that point and spend a good bit of time in it. Let me just graze it for a second here. Remember that book we gave you guys? couple of weeks ago? I don't know what it was now. Guide to Biblical Manhood. Gave it to young Father's Day, I think it was. Written by Randy Stinton and Dan Dumas. And so I've included some thoughts here, hopefully to whet your appetite to go and read that book. Very accessible, very helpful insights from the book. Now, they are commenting on this passage in this first quote from Ephesians 5.28, which basically says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. No one ever hated his own body but cherishes and nourishes it. Right, so there's, there's the tone of how a husband is to be looking toward the need of his wife. In the similar way in which he looks to his own body's signals, weaknesses, and issues. And he pays attention to that. Stenton and Dumas say, you're supposed to do it as if it were second nature just like how you care for your own body. It's very natural for you to drink something when you get thirsty or to eat something when you get hungry or to go to the doctor if you get sick or injured. You're to lead in such a way as if you were naturally caring for your own body. That's a whole different level of being aware of your wife, being tuned in, Right? I mean, guys, we, we just have a hard time. And, and listen, the line forms right here. This was not a fun week of preparation for me. Right? My wife actually interrupted me with a text while I was studying. And the only thing I could text her back was, my study is showing me what a lousy husband you are married to. So whatever critique you feel, uh, I've had to put up with it all week long. So I got no mercy for you that you feel bad. <laughs> about what you're hearing today, okay, because <laughs> I've had to feel bad all week. But there is a need in fulfilling this call as a husband for me to do a better job being tuned in and aware, you know. You kind of notice something going on in your body. Not, this, this illustration doesn't work well for me. Peter has a part-time job of reminding me to go to the doctor. Because I never go, and I won't ever go, and I don't know if I've ever submitted to him asking me to go. I just, I get tuned into, yeah, there's something wrong, but there's always stuff wrong, and just keep going. So my, I probably shouldn't treat my wife the way I treat myself in that one category, because I just let her die, you know. Just, honey, well, pain, yeah, welcome to being in fallen world, honey, what can I tell you? Just live with it, I guess. Um. But we're supposed to do better than that. We're supposed to be caring for her. But I've got to be tuned in. Right? I've got to be aware. I've got to be paying attention. This is what it means for be a man who's living according to knowledge. And I've got some knowledge base going on here. Just not ignorant and ignoring and doing all the other stuff that makes my life what it is. They go on another place in this the book, Guide to Biblical Manhood, and say A primary way that you lead in your marriage is in becoming an active student of her. Living with your wife in an understanding way means you're supposed to know her. You're not supposed to treat her generically. You're supposed to treat her uniquely. And in order to treat her uniquely, you have to work at knowing So God's the first admonition here, and we're going to get into some details in just a moment, is we, we need to become students. There's something to be studied and to learn and to gain understanding about so that we can even heed the admonition, live with your wife in an understanding way. We'll look at what we understand in just a moment. But there's a couple of qualifiers here that as we go about doing that command, we're told about weaker vessels and about them being heirs with us. So two insights now join this command. Let's look at those quickly here. The weaker vessel, living with your lives in an understanding way, showing her honor as the weaker vessel. Now, what what does this mean? What does it mean for Peter to be referring to wives in a marriage as weaker vessels? I'll give you one specialist thought, Mr. Grudem, our respected theologian says the weakness may refer to any type of weakness. And he includes in that physical weakness that wives are weaker physically than their husbands. He extends that as well to emotional weakness, that there is a a dimension of difference between a man and a woman. That includes, in his opinion, emotional aspects of a woman. I think the context demands, and Grudem brings this out as well, the context demands that there's something being said here about the role of somebody who's leading and the other person who's submitting. That there's a a relationship here where the man has in some ways the upper hand and the woman has a vulnerability as a result of that. I think the context demands that we at least include that thought here. But but let me just be clear. I mean, Paul's going to also add, I think Paul's thoughts and comments we looked at last week, 2 Timothy, when he says to women in the church, he said, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man in in the church. And he explains that from the context of creation, for it was the man who was first created, not the woman. And it was the woman who was deceived, not the man. And so somehow... Somehow, Paul is associating something of how God created man and how God created woman to have some differences here that sounds like the woman was more vulnerable to deceit than the man was. And the man was vulnerable to something else, but the woman seemed to be vulnerable. So uh, there's not a ton of explanation here in this category. So I wouldn't want to overdo this category And this is, quite honestly, where I think it gets a little complicated to say, what does it mean for a woman to be the weaker vessel? Well, does that mean she's weaker in every category? Um, The context immediately before this is Sarah and Abraham. And uh, Sarah is being applauded for her submission and doing good and not being afraid of anything frightening. Somebody immediately came up to me last week, and I didn't have time to get to this point, but it's a valid point. It's a frightening thing to submit, isn't it, ladies? It is. Because sometimes you're submitting to something that doesn't make sense to you. Well, maybe a lot of times you're submitting to something that doesn't make sense to you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And when things don't make sense to us, where does your imagination go? It goes into, this is going to be bad. This is going to be destructive. If we went this way, it makes sense. I see promise. I see goodness. There. That makes sense to me. This doesn't make sense to me. So immediately you're afraid. This doesn't have a good ending. So Sarah is approached by her husband who's, you know, met with God and says, honey, we're leaving the counties. We're leaving everything that's familiar. We're leaving the family inheritance. We're leaving everybody we know. So can you pack up and we're leaving next week? You know, like any wife, honey, uh, where are we going? And this man says, I don't know. (laughs) This is a starling, you know, just a huge moment of inspiration for the wife, right? How much strength of faith does it take for that woman in that moment to say, I'm with you, babe. Let's go. I mean, He's met with God, right? He's had this God thing happen in her life. She just gets to meet with him. <laughs> right? So there's a level of strength for Abraham to say, honey, we're packing it all up and leaving. He met with the God of the universe. What else is he going to do, right? She's met with him, she's known him forever. It's like, the <laughs> and she, by strength of something in her, is going to take a step of faith. And not be afraid, and go wherever it is that he says we're going. Along the way, do you think she was surprised? Do you think she may have been suspicious? That look, Abe, you're not going to like abandon me and act like I'm not your wife when we get into a bind, are you? You know, you're not going to like treat me like one of the girls and make me vulnerable to be snatched up by some king. You wouldn't do something like that, now would you, Abraham? well we all know the story that's exactly what abraham did so what kind of strength was there in these two people to venture out it's hard for me to say she's a weaker vessel in that moment it's a huge amount of strength for her this huge amount of strength in a woman who bears children carries that child in her body brings that child with its the unique connection she has as a mother into this world releases children at moments what strength do you think it took for jochebed to put baby moses into a basket in faith and push him out into the nile and watch the basket float down the nile not having any idea where her baby is going it's interesting the bible don't say nothing about her husband in that moment i don't know where he was maybe he was right there with her i don't know but it's her who took a huge Strong step of faith to trust God, and a few weeks ago we studied about Hannah, who took her only son Samuel, and in the strength of her faith gave him to Eli, and that was not a pleasant exchange Eli was was not a bastion of home leadership, and the strength of her faith in God to give her child so so listen, ladies, when we come to this verse and we say. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Uh, Boy, there's a lot here that it's hard to untie and say, what exactly does that mean? But it's here, and I think we we can aim at a couple of things, but the main admonition for husbands is to realize, husbands, live with your wives in a way that you recognize. Your wife has particular vulnerabilities. She is vulnerable in certain ways, from the most obvious that you are physically stronger than her and probably therefore can intimidate her physically, to the fact that she is having to play a role that makes her vulnerable to your leadership, to the vulnerability of whatever Eve had of being deceived, whether that was an emotional vulnerability, whatever it was, something made her vulnerable. Gentlemen, live with your wives like you're aware that whatever you do and however you relate and however you lead your wife You're leading a person who is vulnerable in certain ways, and that needs to inform how we lead. We're told in this passage as well, we're helpful insight that our wives are heirs with us. They are joint heirs of the grace of life. If you were to turn real quickly over to to Galatians chapter 3, you find out Paul is teaching people about what happens when we come into Christ. No matter where you've come from, poor person, rich person, different racial backgrounds, different sexual background, whether you're a man or a woman. He says in verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. It's a huge, important, critical verse in the Bible that needs to continue to live next door to other huge, important, critical verses in the Bible. Right There's a realm here in which together men and women stand at the foot of the cross and there is no differentiation between us. We stand at the cross. The same act of justification gets applied in exactly the same way whether you are the leader in the home, are the ones submitting, whether you are the stronger vessel or the weaker vessel, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. If you're a human being being justified, you stand equal and in the same place with everybody. That's what that verse is trying to say. Now, there's some other elements of equality that would be very, very significant. And you go all the way back to the original creation of man and woman with distinctions because we want to see two things here. That on the one hand, the Bible teaches equality of personhood, but it also teaches, the next point in your outline there, distinction of roles. So equal yet distinct is both in the Bible. We've got to see both of them there. But we, so you have Galatians saying we're all equal. You have Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 2 in your outline there. I put the quick quote there. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Right, Speaking of the plurality of God in the Godhead, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So this unique thing amongst all of God's creation has occurred. God has said, my image bearers will be man. And they will need to be male and female. Let us create man in our image. Now I can't unpack this this morning, and I'm not sure I understand it well enough to unpack it if I have more time. But when God speaks of the us, there, He's speaking of the Father, Son, and Holy Spiritness of God. And when you look into the Godhead, you see submission in the Godhead. You see it there. This is why last week, and I'm going to say it again and again and again. You. You do a mistreatment to God when you speak of submission in a demeaning way. You demean the Son of God. You demean the Spirit of God. Because we see that in the Godhead. So in order for the image of God to be created in man, there needed to be distinction between them. Male and female. Needed to happen for an aspect of the glory of God to be seen. So in a sense... Males and females come together to create the image of God. Now this, is, this, is, this is hugely important. If you, you start right there in Genesis, you just got a definition and a starting point and a tether line for anything you and I are going to believe about laws, policies of how we treat people. Our people come through the years, ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds. Listen, the basis for why you treat anybody on this planet, no matter what race they are, no matter what ethnic group they come from, no matter what class they come from, the basis for why you're going to do anything toward that person is based on the fact that that person bears the image of God. It's why you treat them with dignity. They may, not, they may not have a last name you like or a color that you like, but they are image bearers of God. It's why the church and guys who love God and love truth took stands against things like slavery. It's why today there needs to be groups who are doing everything in their power to deal with issues like human trafficking. Because it's robbing the dignity of people's lives. Those people are in the image of God. It's an attack on the image of God. That's taking place here. And our subject today, this battle of the sexes stuff, right? You were born by default into the boy club or into the girl club. And there's some strange allegiances going on in that category. Where the guys get all allied to being a dude, hanging with guys, talking about women a certain way demeaning women in many ways, and then the ladies get together, talk about guys in a certain way, demeaning men in a certain way. Okay, okay listen, particularly for women, you're, you're not a disciple of TV sitcoms, are you? Right, where the women are the ones who have it all together. The women always have it right. The man is always, always a bumbling idiot, You always got to come behind this guy and fix what he's done. The kids don't respect him. The kids shouldn't respect him. He's the butt of the jokes. Everybody should make fun of him. Okay, guys, the the opposite sex bears the image of God. They're image bearers of God. You, you, You can't be loyal to the girl club or loyal to the boy club. As a believer, you're called to be loyal to the glory club. you want to be loyal to those things that proclaim the glory of God. And guess what? Women in their uniqueness proclaim the glory of God, and men in their uniqueness proclaim the glory of God. You may not understand it, and because you're limited like me, you don't understand it, you don't have permission to attack it. Your loyalty is to the glory of God. Listen, this is why if you're a believer here, you need to think through carefully how you respond to laws like same-sex marriages. That's not a topic that's up for debate. Like, hey, we're going to go with the modern thought on that. It's, you know, everybody's going with it. You know, know, to have a different position, it's archaic, it's, it's intolerant. In the beginning... God had an idea about what would proclaim the image of his glory, and he made them male and female and put them together in relationship. If you do anything different, you're messing with God's world. And last time I checked, nobody had permission to redesign God's world. This is part of the problem of being an American, though, because we get used to just voting our ideas into existence. We just voted in. If enough of us believe it, you got to do it. You know, guess what? God doesn't play that way. Nobody gets to vote and tell God, God, you had a really bad idea going on there. See, because that whole image thing about man and a woman. You know, I think man and man works great, God. So you need to just back off on your ideas. No, this is about the image of the glory of God. Which is why you and I exist. To proclaim the excellencies of him. So in my opinion, there's no way, there's no way you can be excited or supportive of that idea because it's hostile to the image of God. That's the one thing I'm supposed to be about in this world. From Genesis to Revelation is a jealousy for the glory of God to be seen. And that does not proclaim the glory of God. The Bible teaches distinction of roles. I'm just going to have us look at Ephesians 5, but I, I want to skip that for the sake of time. You see the, the distinction of roles between... The husband and the wife, just in the passage there in Peter, where the the role of a wife is to submit to her husband, and the role of her husband is to lead his wife. So this is not an equality issue. In the same way that the son submits to the father, that's not an equality issue. They're equally God, but they are distinct in their roles. And so within a household, we have distinction, but we have equality as well. Let me move into this category. We're told to live with our lives in an understanding way. Okay, well, what is there to understand? Guys, what are we to be understanding about? This could take a while, couldn't it? (laughs) I'll be as brief as possible. This is a great list. Guys, there is so much help. I hope, I don't know what you do with your outlines from Sunday messages on a normal basis, but tape this one to the mirror. Uh, There is categorical hope here for dullards like me that I'll need to see this again in a few days. Wayne Grudem says, The knowledge Peter intends here may include any knowledge that would be beneficial to the husband-wife relationship, knowledge of God's purposes and principles for marriage, knowledge of the wife's desires, goals, and frustrations, Knowledge of her strengths and weaknesses in physical, emotional, and spiritual realms. All right, guys? To be understanding means to gain some knowledge in those categories. If right now you're reading through those categories and blanks are filling your head, right, it's going to be hard for you to be understanding because you don't have any knowledge with which to be understanding. So that would be a good place to start and just ask God for some help. Here's a few points that we're to be understanding in. Understanding the male female distinctive that God built into his creation. Men and women are different. From the beginning, God made them different. They are different on purpose, they are different by design. What I find amazing, and I think think the other guys will back me up on this, is how many marital counseling situations people find themselves so surprised. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know we were so different. Being different becomes the basis for the erosion of the marriage and the eventual pursuit of divorce. Do you understand? From the beginning, God's plan was... Hey, dude, let me put you with her. Immediately, you're in a realm of difference. You're supposed to marry somebody different than you. So, guys, living with your wives in an understanding way means your wife is different than you. She's a woman, and you're a man, and that means a lot. But it means some things and some details as well you might want to pay attention to. How about this understanding your particular wife? Right? Your wife is a unique person. And so you don't want to start dealing with your wife out of some gen- general sense of womanhood or out of what your mama was like. Well, mama, I'm always. Yeah, mama, i always. Well, you didn't marry your mom. You married this woman. Right? And she's not like some other person you know, you know that, that other couple that you know, that you know their life through a set of binoculars, so you really don't know what they're like behind the scenes. But boy, your wife doesn't compare well with how she handles things. He gets to this and that, and this goes on that way. And Well, you didn't marry her, dude. Your obligation is to know your wife, to make her an object of study. You're going to quickly realize that there are some real differences, practically speaking, in your relationship with your wife. Look at this from Paul Tripp, his excellent book, What Did You Expect? He says, think about it. Some people are mechanical some analytical, hallelujah, some conceptual, (laughs) some mathematical, some organizational, some artistic, some relational. Some people are outgoing and extroverted. Some are quiet and introverted. Some are (laughs) middle-of-the-road-verts. Yet even in these categories, there are vast differences. When you start with Genesis 1, you are confronted with the fact that it is virtually impossible for you to marry someone who is like you. Because you were not formed by some evolutionary factory that manufactured you by a strict set of scientific formulas. But by the hand of an infinite divine artist, you are unique. There's no one quite like you. You will never marry your clone. And in marriage, you will never be able to turn your husband or wife into your clone. We just need to pause there for a few moments. (laughs) Could the band go ahead and come? No. Listen, you know, some of us got like a full-time job going on where we're trying to convert our spouse into our clone. Just everything about us makes sense. And if we could just get them to be like us, they'd make sense. Okay. God was involved in making your spouse who they are. And there's some real distinction between you and your spouse. I hope my wife won't mind me sharing some of our distinctions in just a moment. (laughs) How do you know who's going to end up on the good end of that, huh? (laughs) Just because I'm the guy with the microphone. Paul Tripp goes on and says this. He says, there are three primary tools of difference that God uses in a marriage to reveal our heart's the first tool is the difference in personal hardwiring that the creator has formed in each of us. Right? Personal hardwiring. Right? You know what that is? I mean, it's, just, it's got a lot to do with your personality. The uniqueness of your personhood. The hardwiring, sort of some of what you came into this world inclined toward. You know, you have certain things about you that have kind of, kind of always been there about you. All right, so some of that's true about you and you understand it. It's the way in which you do your life. And then you marry somebody else who's hardwired a certain way and you bump into the idea and the fact and the reality that in some of those categories you are different. And the way in which they're wired, you're wondering who on earth was doing the wiring. How did this happen to you? How did you end up this way? Now, most of these categories, most of these categories are morally neutral categories. There's nothing right or wrong about being either one of these. But yet we are so irritated by people being different than us in some of these categories, right? Here would be some differences for my wife and I. My wife is much more of an emotional person. I am much more of a thinker. So when life washes up on our shores, she... I don't know if she wants to do this, but she does. She feels a certain way about it almost instantly. Whereas if she looks over at me, I've picked the object up of life and I'm beginning to take it apart. And I'm analyzing it and trying to explain to her why all these things are the way they are in life, in this moment, in people, in our children. You know, I've kind of got the thing apart on the table, making perfect sense to me. That's totally irritating to her. (laughs) It's like, I'm not in the mood to read the user's manual. I just feel a certain way about this. Can't you just listen? Right? I mean, some of you guys get that. So I've had to live with my wife in an understanding way in this category. I've, I've had to understand she doesn't want me to take it apart and give it back to her. She just wants me to. Feel the way she feels. Now, listen, that's a hard thing for me. You know, I, I don't know. I just didn't come built with feelings sometimes. You know, I'm just kind of... So I've learned to stop dismantling things. But now what that's created is, is sometimes just just silence. And so, you know, her response then response becomes, you going to say anything? <laughs> it's like, well, honey, what comes naturally is what makes you want to vomit. So, uh... Might be best for me just to be quiet and make that look good. <laughs> uh, because naturally, as soon as this thing came to me, my natural inclination was, ooh, take it apart and analyze it and explain it. That's my natural inclination. I've been that way my whole life. My mom thought I'd be an engineer from the time that I was a little kid. That's not her hardwiring, and we're different. Right? When, it, when it comes to sort of activity of life, sh- she is impulsive. I, I am analytical, and so when it comes time to do something, she can be ready to do something in an instant. The idea comes, it's time for action, not me, no, no. When the idea comes to me, it means it's time to do some homework. <laughs> I can remember early in our marriage discovering this, we haven't been married for too long, we were doing youth ministry, and actually I think one or two of the youth leaders are still here in the church, uh, and they had this desire at I don't know if it was Christmas time or what it was that they just wanted to bless us with a new chair that maybe they were sick of sitting in the chairs we had in our house and so they thought let's get a comfortable chair in there and uh, so they offered to buy us a recliner rocker recliner kind of a thing so first chair Gina comes across that she likes let's get this one I'm like what yeah let's get this one like, that didn't make any sense to me because we haven't seen all the other chairs in the city yet. <laughs> How do you know you won't like another one better than this? It it's just made no sense to me at all. It's like, that is the most irresponsible decision. <laughs> and then we're gonna have to live with it for years. No, no, we're shopping. So we ended up shopping more. I don't think we actually got to see all the chairs in the city, which would have been my preference. (laughs) But we saw enough to find another one that we didn't get the first one we got the second one. But, you know, you got to live with each other in an understanding way. It it takes some unnaturalness for her to submit to that because that does not come natural for her. It takes some unnaturalness for me to live with her in an understanding way and at some points just say, all right, let's just do the impulsive thing. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I need buy it. Ah, you know, it's just everything within me is, is just wanting to die. Of all the stuff I don't know and we're doing this, you know, it's not a good moment for me. And there would be many other differences. It's just neutral, you know, she's a morning person, I'm a night person. Right, I mean, just some of the, we got to just practice You live with a different person than you do. right? So, I mean, I've got to take into account that my wife gets to a point at night where the, the battery just suddenly goes from 68% to 2%. You know, it's like that. It just doesn't decline like this. It just dies at some point. And I could be right in the middle of trying to solve some big issue and boom. And, you know, living with your wife in an understanding way needs to quickly mean, honey, we can just talk about this tomorrow. You know, it doesn't mean stay up and let's deal with this. But that's what I'd like to do because i got energy left. You know, I'm a night person. I'm still going. But we're different. And you're different than your spouse in some huge ways. Look, Look at this thought from Mr. Tripp. He says, second is the difference in viewpoints, instincts, and tastes that have been formed in us through the experiential, cultural, and relational influences that we have lived in and which have formed the way we see the world and respond to it. All right, so not only do we have some natural differences, but we've been brought up differently, right? We've been around certain people that were our heroes and we begin to form and fashion views around what they were and who they were. We've had some bad experiences that we said we don't ever want to be like that, we don't ever want to get around that. As a matter of fact, if anything begins to slightly look like that, I'm going to freak out. But how many of you know sometimes that, that your spouse is freaking out over something that you don't have any history in? You've never had that experience. So you can't understand why you're freaking out about something that doesn't even exist but it just might exist. Because they've had some pretty strong experiences that have helped shape some of that. Right. some of that's r- some really difficult categories. Some of it's in kind of some fun categories. I mean, culturally, we would have some differences. Um, Gina's natural father is Latino; he's from Central America, and so it's interesting if you were to compare early in our relationship, Christmas Day in our in our. <laughs> Christmas Day in our lives. It brought new meaning to white Christmas because in the morning, we would start off going to my family. My my mother's last name is Whittington <laughs> from England. Whittington. My dad's Irish, so he got a little bit of kick to him, but You know, when you were there, you were having a white Christmas, if you understand. Even in New Orleans, it was a white Christmas. Everything was very prim, proper. It wasn't a huge amount of emotion. We opened gifts. It was nice. It was a nice show. (laughs) You know, in the history of my relationship with my mom, I've never seen her dance. I've never seen two feet off the floor close at the same time. She played the piano, but when she played, it sort of felt like you were in Pride and Prejudice or something. You know, it was like very proper. She played very well. She was very musically inclined. And then we would go to Gina's family. She, you know, even though her father died when she was a baby, uh, retained relationship for years. And so we would go to the Latino side later that night. And, and you'd, walk, <laughs> you'd walk in. And they had a huge extended family. We didn't have extended family. I don't know, maybe the English don't do extended family. But these guys had extended family. They had come from all over the country. They were loud. We'd walk in. They were making noise. They were playing the guitar. There were some of them singing. There was some dancing going on. They were all over you. Ah! They were pinching your cheeks. And they were making all kinds of noise. At any moment, somebody might stand up and just start singing. And it was, you know, I'm related to Whittington's. You're freaking me out, you know? I don't feel safe here. You're gonna, what are you gonna ask me to dance or something next? So, you know, I'm in this setting like ugh, I'm having an out of body experience here. Now, I don't know if the white Christmas had that effect on her. But my wife's cultural background is if you put music on, she'll want to dance. Just like that. And she's married to this white dude that, honey, music is for listening to. (laughs) Can we just explore the background vocals for a moment? (laughs) It's not to, you know, get groovy with. But there's grooviness in her cultural background. So there's difference here. Now, listen, this is, this, is, this is sad, but it is categoric, and it would be a whole message in itself, and it's not just for husbands. Most of us don't know what to do with different. When we come across different, this is my wife and I used to have a joke. Ooh, it's different. Kill it. You know? <laughs> We don't know what to do with different, right? If you're if you're a loud person, you know you just you know who you are. You're a loud person. Just your hardwiring is you're loud, and you get around those quiet people. You don't know what to do with them, do you? Right now, the quiet (laughs) the quiet people don't know what to do with you either, but the loud people around. I almost wonder if the loud people kind of looking over their shoulder at the quiet people, going, "What are you What are you scheming about? I don't trust you. You're up to something." Well, they're just different. People' appetites are different. Ambitions are different. You've got some people who crave being in front of people. And you've got other people who are scared to death of that. And you may be one of those married together. You understand there's so many differences in your life. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. There are things about your marriage that you have let grow into a category of, it's different, kill it. You just oppose it with everything in you. And the really slick dudes, and I I was one of these for a long time, I hope I'm not still, but the really slick guys can bind up differences in theology and make it wrong. If you're really good at it, you can go from, hey, we're just different to, Let me show you why that's wrong, why it might cause some people to stumble. You know, it's like, right? if you're good at twisting the Bible up, you can take things that are morally neutral and make them suddenly just as evil as can be. And people, and you know what, that's going to do a great thing for your marriage. Because now your wife's having to kind of live with the idea, okay, so is this just different or am I wrong? You know, am I wrong? My husband disapproves of me. Husbands, you're going to lead you need to be very careful that you don't create leaderships that, that's based in you, the way I am, the things that I prefer, the stuff that makes me comfortable. I don't have to get out of my comfort zone in order to understand my wife and do some things that minister her and bless her. I'm gonna do it on time here. Terrible. Uh, all right, we'll be quick here. We'll be quick. Understanding, let me go through these last two points here. Understanding that, you're, that you may broadcast and receive on different frequencies, right? Men who love practically and women who tune into the romance channel. right? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Listen, to a husband, it makes perfect sense that I'm loving my wife when I go to work. I'm loving my wife when I pay the bills every month. I'm loving my wife when I offer to do something around the house that I really didn't want to do. I'm, all, I'm loving my wife when I spruce up the yard or take on a home project that irritates the tar out of me. I'm loving my wife in all those categories. So you feel like, you know what, I'm broadcasting love every day. The love channel is broadcasting, baby. And, but you, what you didn't notice is that, you know, you push down the dial here and your wife is tuned into the romance channel. And so you go in for counseling, which I hope a lot of people actually do go in for marriage counseling. You should. You need help to do this. You go in for counseling, and you find out your wife feels like, he never loves me. I don't feel, like, I don't feel any love at all. And the guy's looking at her like, I'm just looking at the second head growing out your shoulders. What are you talking about? Because for him, he's broadcasting all day long, I love you, I love you. I'm sacrificing you, spending all my money. I get nothing. I love you. Right? <laughs> And she's tuned into the Romance Channel waiting for flowers and a getaway weekend. And you are just so special in a card. And that's what she's waiting for. Listen, guys, living with your wives in an understanding way doesn't mean you stay on your channel and say, why don't you get your butt over here so you can experience some love. (laughs) Living with your wives in an understanding way means scoot down the dial a little bit do something that you have studied her and you figured out that she actually connects with that that actually speaks to her that you do love her and communicate that to her All right guys big warning here i wish i had more time but understand and protecting your wife's vulnerability about the marriage bed see guys guys don't get this for a bunch of reasons part of it's because in created order you're different God created man and turned him loose on creation. God created woman and said, look at that guy. And that's the first thing she did. I'm a helper to him. And so her world got ordered around this guy in a certain way, out of God's design. So, guys, there's a, there's a uniqueness to the relationship, especially the one flesh sexual relationship you have with your wife. She is vulnerable in that area. She's vulnerable in a way that might not make any sense to you because you're a guy and you're wired different. But she is vulnerable in that area. And so the common practice of our world to act as though pornography in our world, it's just a fact of life. Listen, your wife doesn't get that. For her it crushes one of the most unique things about her existence the unique category that you sit in, not every man, not sex, the unique category you sit in with her in this one flesh relationship between the two of you. Gentlemen, you need to do everything in your power to guard that. It affects your wife differently than it affects you. Study it and know it, and don't be a dull knucklehead who just says, well, this is how I feel. Oh, Well, you know, if you screw up, you just this. it's it's different for her. How many couples we've met with through the years that once you damage that, the recovery of it, it's a very difficult thing for a woman to recover. Which means you need to be very, very careful, guys. Your, Your wife, she's watching the way you watch stuff. You got if you got movie channels in your house, can I just tell you there's a lot of better stuff you could do with your money than waste your money on that. And you're, you're, you're touching a vulnerability here because those movie channels are filled with pornography, even the ones that are rated certain ways. They're filled with images that as your wife watches, you watch that. It's doing something to how she feels about how you feel about her. Because the odds are... You're not some Olympic person in the beauty category like everybody on TV is. And you start comparing yourself to that. And husbands, you created that comparison by putting that stuff in your home. You guys who are in the business world, I, I go study on a regular basis at Starbucks. I'm so grateful I'm not in the business world in some of these regards. I watch these men walk in with these women to have a business meeting. Whew. That's a scary environment I watch happen there. You watch their demeanor and how they interact with each other and how she's dressed. Thinking, oh, man, that's some dangerous territory right there. Gentlemen, if you have the ability to never do business alone with another woman, you will honor your wife by making sure you don't. Now, maybe you don't have that ability. And in that regard, figure out a way to do it in such a way that you're going to guard your wife from being suspicious or wondering. Because the uniqueness of her relationship with you makes her want to guard that. So some of you get bugged by the idea that she's asking too many questions about some of that stuff. Because that's a vulnerable spot for her. That's a scary place for a woman. And being a guy means stop being irritated by the fact that your wife's asking you about that. Live with your wife in an understanding way. That's a vulnerability for her. All right. Uh, I've got too much time to get to here. All right, let me close with this because I want us to have some time to receive something from God. So please give me a few minutes just for husbands and wives together. What we have explored in the last two weeks is the very limited things Peter had to say that would proclaim the glory of God through marriages. If you just get a hold of these two things in your life, apparently, what a huge impact this can have in your relationship. If wives get a vision for submission to their husbands and husbands get a vision for living with their wives in an understanding way and showing honor to her, what an amazing thing God would do in a marriage. Now this morning, I want us to do this. Matt, if you go ahead and, and come. I want us to allow the spirit of God to minister to some couples where you are. And just This is what I'm believing for this morning. As marriages so easily get into a category of cruise control, neglect, smoldering, Heat underneath something, smoke, but maybe not fire of hostility. But listen, God is interested in mind blowing marriages. Now, what I want to pray for this morning is that God would give you a heart towards your spouse that would be in line with these passages. It would be mind blowing as a wife, as a husband. And so I want to pray for you this morning, but I most want you to be able to receive from God. In just a moment, I'm going to have Gina come up and sing a song to, to help us. Because one of the things I think that we resist in is just being humble before God. You know, one of the most difficult categories to be humble in is in your marriage. It's amazing how we can be humble to others more than we can be humble to one another. But what enables us to move forward in these categories is is humble brokenness before God. Because listen, before these issues become sins toward our spouses, they're sin toward God. They're destructive to the image bearing that we have as husbands and the image bearing that we have as wives. So God needs to bring us to a place of brokenness. So let me ask all the couples, all the married folks, whether your husband or wife is here, if you would all stand up. Gina, would you go ahead and come up here? Matt, go ahead and just play something for a moment because I want us to pray before Gina sings. So one of the ladies in the church had a prophetic word. I want to ask her to come up and share that before Gina sings. So if you could go ahead and come up. Lord, I thank you for these couples that are here. Your word said is it's a good thing when a man finds a wife. And you created from the beginning, Lord, this different people to come together to be one. This is your design. It's your plan. But, Lord, there's reality here. We live in a fallen world. And for many of the couples here, Lord, submission has become unattractive, difficult, neglected. And for many couples here, there would be husbands whose leadership has been anything but understanding. It's lacked servanthood. It's lacked adequate knowledge and care to make a wife eager to love and submit. So Lord, today... Look at where we are. Find us where we are. For you are not interested in us staying where we are. You have much more for us. So, Father, help us this morning. Give us ears now to hear.
1: It's a picture of a couple in a deep, open body of water. The sky darkens, and the wind becomes strong, and the waves begin to rise and roll. As the waves rise, they are coming over on top of the couple, pulling them down under the water. First, the wife goes down under. She gasps for breath. As she comes up, she sees her husband going down under the water. As he comes up, the couple are both hit by a huge wave that brings them both tumbling down deep under the water. They are disoriented, unable to see, and gasping to breathe. Suddenly, a ray of light shines down into the water. The couple differently see the light and swim towards it to find they both come up to the surface of the water, and the storm is gone.
0: Father, do a work in our marriages here this morning. Lord, this would be for some here this morning close to the nerve. But I pray that today, July the 3rd, 2011, for some of the couples here, be a fresh day in their marriage, a day of humble beginnings, a day when husbands humble themselves and take upon themselves the role of a servant in their home, become students of their wives, day that begins a pattern of living with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her. What I pray for wives here this morning that today, Lord, would be a day of humble submission. day of ultimately submitting and trust to you. But Lord, a day when they are humble people who in their humility no longer find it so difficult to be submitted to another person, particularly their husband. What I pray for some wives here today that you would bring to an end the days of dishonor. Days when there's been a lack of respect. for Lord, you have given them a call to submit to a man who may even be disobedient to the word, but yet God, they submit out of respect and reverence for you. Oh Lord, we don't want to resist you, Lord, this category means too much, Lord. For when you spoke of our marriages, you said that they had reference to Christ and the church. But our households, our marriages themselves are declarers of the image and glory of God. Lord, this morning, Lord, would you begin a fresh work that we would not be satisfied to neglect this area of our lives. May it be prized. May it be treasured, Lord. May it be in days ahead, Lord, what you did by these two words in 1 Peter. To change the course of what our marriages are in this house. God may it be that in days ahead, Lord, marriages that were barely surviving become declarations of hope. And your Christ, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. God, I pray today that you would flood our marriages with a fresh sense of hope. Hope for these unions. Hope for your purpose in them. Hope for the future. Hope that wrestles itself free from the past. Hope that overcomes unforgiveness years of disappointment and even bitterness, God, hope, hope that is grounded in you, our faithful God, who will yet again be faithful to us as husbands and as wives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.